Years ago, I worked with a client who came to therapy to work on his social anxiety. He described himself as your typical computer nerd. He was going through a difficult divorce, and for the first time in his life, he was trying to overcome his fears of meeting women. He wanted to have conversations at parties without worrying about making a fool of himself, and he just wanted to have a group of friends to hang out with. He worked on this for a number of months in therapy, and incidentally, I liked him. He was a good guy. He was nice to people, and I, I figured if people just got to know him, they'd surely like him, and they'd surely want to hang out with him. So we worked on a social anxiety for a while, but things were slow going. Then, on the internet, he found something called the Pickup Artist Community, otherwise known as the Seduction Community. In session, he was using strange words, strange new words, like negging and going caveman. And he referred to this book called The Game, and this charismatic figure who goes by the name of Mystery. He started dressing differently. He wore fancy new shirts and unbuttoned his shirts so you could see his chest. He had more confidence. He drastically changed his hairstyle. He started wearing jewelry. He was meeting women at clubs. He changed his goals from wanting friends to wanting to bag as many babes as possible. He changed his goals from wanting to hold a conversation at a party to wanting to get as many phone numbers as possible. So since I'm a collaborative therapist, I just went with his new goals, but I felt uneasy about it. His new goals felt sleazy to me. But I didn't want to let my preferences get in the way of working collaboratively with him. But after a number of months, I couldn't take it anymore, and I started confronting him about his, this new approach that he was, that he was taking on, and I, I, I argued with him a lot. So each session, we would debate the merits of this pickup artist community and this seduction community stuff. I would try to convince him that it was teaching him to be a manipulator of susceptible women. And he would try to convince me that his new seduction skills were guaranteed to work because he had heard multiple stories of men who could bag any babe that they wanted. And then I would try to convince him that humans want attachments rather than conquests and that he was enacting a sexist practice against women. And we would go back and forth all session long. Now, skip forward a number of years to, a number of years to the present day. An anonymous patron just wrote in and asked, uh, asked us to talk about the pickup artist community. He wants to be anonymous because he's embarrassed about his previous involvement in this pickup artist community. And since he's a patron, he gets to dictate topics for the episodes. So here we are talking about it. Let's get into it. What do you say, Paulette? Hi. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your loyal host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm chair of the Couple and Family Therapy Program at Antioch University, Seattle, and I'm also a licensed therapist. I'm Paulette Perhatch. I'm a writer. I also would like to have conversations at parties without worrying about making a fool out of myself, but I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon. Too late. Too late. This episode is just for patrons of the podcast. So if you're listening to this and you're not a patron of the podcast, this episode will end before the content begins. If you want to hear the full episode, you have to become a patron of the podcast at patreon.com. Patrons of the podcast get access to exclusive episodes like this one, along with other various benefits. And 20% of your monthly pledge goes towards various charities that we support. So again, if you haven't already, go to patreon.com and become a patron of our humble little podcast to get access to episodes like this one. Welcome, patrons of the podcast. We love you so much. We're really glad that we cut the fat from those other people. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Um... We're currently up to 72 patrons, which is rad. 
I'm a little bummed that it, it was 69 for a while, so I'm a little bummed that it's not 69 anymore. Did that make you think of, um, never mind. Sexy things? Sexy things. Ew, 69ing is the least sexy thing in the world. <laughs> Have you looked between a guy's butthole from upside down? Guess what? It's not pretty. So I'm glad it's not 69, because that makes me think of hairy butts. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Psychology in Seattle. <laughs> oh my God, I've never laughed so hard at this podcast. <laughs> um, so thank you, <laughs> thank you, new patrons, patron Reed, patron May, patron Catherine, patron Elizabeth, patron Jennifer, patron Adam, patron Kirsty Maya, Kirsty Maya. Kirsty Ma- Maya Rupun. Rupun. That's her name. Her, her, she has a first name that's hyphenated. That's like Mary Lynn or something. Patron Veronica. Patron Calvin. Patron David. Patron Jennifer. Thank you so much. Uh, all right. So the anonymous patron, he, wrote, he writes in, and, and I swear to God, this is the best email of all time. He, he's, he just goes into full detail here. He says... I got sucked into it about eight years ago, and I still dread hearing it mentioned anywhere. He, he goes on to explain that there are many paths to the pickup artist community. He says, My story begins when I was going through a rocky patch. I had moved to another country. My job had cut back my hours drastically. I wasn't enjoying the work anymore. The country I was living in was vastly more conservative and capitalistic than my country of origin. I was on the point of breaking up with my life partner. Not only that, I was having problems with my landlord and my roommates. My ego was very fragile at the time. I started a friendship with a guy who was very cocky and sort of a renaissance man. He was quick-witted and streetwise and super smart. Within days of meeting me, he started running different scam ideas by me for how to hook women. First, it was to stop women on the street and ask them to take a photo of you with a very expensive camera in an effort to signal that he's rich. Would that work on you? Okay, first of all, everything you were saying before, I was making a face like I smelled human shit. Like, (laughs) I was just like, ew, ew, oh, opening your shirt? That's the worst. (laughs) Um, Someone stopped me on the street and asked to take a picture of me? You would just immediately be like, creep, red flag, wearing jewelry like a pinky ring. A red flag should just pop right out of it and just wave around. (laughs) A red flag? Yeah. So when you see jewelry, it just screams red flag to you. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. Those are all the most base level. Like you're not going to get a woman who's like smart enough to see past that. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay. So let's let's get into this. So um, he goes on to say, then there were other scams along the way, such as using a hired car to look flashy, using various different pickup lines and so on. At this stage, I found all of this ludicrous, cheesy, corny, lame, and embarrassing. But one day, this guy put a book in front of me that knocked me for six. Have you heard of this no, phrase, knocked is, me for six? What is that? Are the kids saying it? Um, I think it's from another country, but I want to help this guy remain anonymous. But knocked me for six. I'll look it up. Okay. Maybe it's, it's like knocked you down for six seconds, like in terms of boxing or something. I don't know. He's on to say, the book was a manual written by the guys who had first been trained by that mystery fella. 
and their theories were more nuanced and less aggressive than my friend's approach. Did you find it? Yes. Uh, it means to be com- – well, this is according to Urban Dictionary. To means It means to be completely devastated. It comes from the highest scoring action in the sport of cricket where the ball exits the circle without leaving the ground. So maybe it like – so it's a not, pretty, but a, maybe it can be a good and because I don't think it devastated him. I think it, but it just like knocked me off my feet. Like right. whoa, yeah, knocked me off my feet. Uh, he goes on to say, "You remember in the f- in the recent podcast where you were asking Paulette if she really liked men who were self centered, domineering, and so on, and you were surprised at her grudging confession that there is something alluring about sh- such traits." Do you remember talking about that? Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's like there's definitely. So from this book, The Moral Animal I'm Obsessed With, you know, it's like displays of wealth. And this is, we know this is true in society that like wealthier men get women. And that is just a true fact of the most base part of us as humans, you know, but I think that it ignores, I think people who end up with those kind of guys miss out on the people who really could be their best friends. And they're, they have they see their like partner as this thing almost, you know? And yeah, when I was with that hot guy, I was just, it was not like an emotional connection. It was this ego thing. Like, Hey, look at this guy next to me. He's hot. We, you know? Yeah. Right. So he goes on to say that is a microcosm of what I experienced on reading the first few pages of this book. The things they were saying were sometimes politically incorrect, but they seemed to chime with a lot of things I had directly or indirectly experienced in real life. Sort of like what you're saying, Paulette, in terms of like it's it's not politically correct to say that women are sometimes attracted to the douchebag, but sometimes they are attracted to the douchebag, right? Yeah. After reading the book, I was intrigued. The friend gave me two or three other manuals to read, and we would learn the sections off almost by heart. I am trying to think about what drew me in about it. I had been socially anxious pretty much from birth, but up to that point, I had always had women in my life, women around me who showed interest in me. Now, due to my shyness, I would sometimes back off even when a woman made the first move, but I had an extended string of dates and girlfriends, and it is not like I was crippled in that area. I think what drew me in was the simplicity the freedom and the adventure of going out in the night and exploring interactions with people and seeing what happened. Can you see that? Um, repeat that sentence. It's, you know, he, what drew him in was the adventure of going out in the night and experimenting with these different techniques. Like, imagine this, okay? Mm-hmm. Imagine you're a, maybe, I don't know, because t- I feel like this is definitely a, a man thing, a hetero man thing, maybe a gay man thing too. Uh, but probably particularly a hetero man thing in, in that men will get together and talk about single men will get together and talk. They'll, they'll, they'll gear up for going out on the town. Women do this too, right? Tell me more. Yeah. And part of the gearing up is, and the, and, and the debrief afterwards has to do with, with talking about what went down, you know? And, talking about your foibles and your successes and this sort of thing, I guess. I don't know. Do women do that sort of thing? I mean, we might gossip about, yeah, like if it's like, oh, is so-and-so going to be out tonight? Like, and I, I mean, this is all ancient history. I'm just an old lady with, you know, my longtime boyfriend. And there is, we, you know, sometimes say there's kind of excitement to be like, oh, I could hook up with someone tonight. Or like, you know, you know who you're going home with when you're in a long-term relationship. Um, but I don't think, well, 
one time I was like, right, I'm going to go to the club tonight and I'm going to find out if shit is going down between me and this guy or not. And it was so funny because he happened to pull up on a motorcycle with a girl on the back of his motorcycle. And then they like pulled away and my friend just turns to me and she goes, who the fuck is that bitch? I'm like, I don't know. And then she was just like, like we were like obsessing over whether he had a girlfriend or not. And it was like this right. big night. Right. So that's fun, right? Because yeah, you're bonding fun. with your girls. You're have It's an adventure. You're starting off the night saying, I wonder what's going to happen. Yeah. But I didn't go at it like a army mission where we have a target and we have strategery. You know, like right. it sounds like hunting or because I really liked that guy. He was my friend and I really liked him and I wanted to be with him. And that was what it was about. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to bag two dicks tonight. Can't wait. <laughs> I'm just thinking what that bag would look like. A bag of two dicks. I'm thinking purple. We would always say bag of, eat a bag of dicks was like our big thing in college. Kind of like a crown royal bag with that yellow rope, you know, just like <laughs> hanging off of your side. Oh, God. I'm sorry if anyone is like a normal person listening to this. There are old people that listen to this, by the way. Okay. Uh, okay. He goes on to say... I like old people. <clears throat> I, I am an old people. Uh, he goes on to say a sort of return to the jungle or an Indiana Jones style adventure. So this guy sort of recruited me as his wingman. In truth, for me, 90% of the time, it was more fantasy than reality, more talking about it than actually doing it. But maybe a couple of dozen of times, I found myself out on the town winging with this fella. The ultimate problem is that I'm sort of, sen- I'm sort of a sensitive fella and pretty picky about who I connect with. Apparently, where they say dropped you for six, they also say the word fella a lot. The kinds of ladies this, friends, this friend would approach over and over again were materialistic, socialites, scoundrels, damaged, so-called gold diggers, and so on. Yeah, because I think when you're looking for someone and treating them as an object, you're going to find someone who treats other people as an object. Because you're saying, I'm rich, I'm hot, here's what I'll bring to you. You get to have a rich, hot boyfriend. And you're going to get someone who's looking for a rich, hot boyfriend and not someone who's looking... For their best friend or for actual partner to really connect with. Interesting. He goes on to say, And throughout this, I had to weather a lot of criticism from my friend for not approaching enough, for not being more confident, for not taking one for the team. This, was, this is an obnoxious phrase. It's the idea of entertaining a woman or even sleeping with her as a ploy to make someone else's seduction more easy. That's so gross. And usually it's like, what you know, you see like the pictures of like taking one for the team, and it's like one guy with like the less attractive friend. It's so bad. Right. Like I saw this episode of uh, Jersey Shore. Not proud of it. It was an anthropological study. I consider it, <laughs> and they were so horrible talking about someone taking one for the team. And I was just like, oh my god, these people are inhuman. They're so terrible. Well, let me be a devil's advocate. It's literally the devil talking. If two guys walk up to a group of two girls and one of the guys is like, I want the hot one, is it an effective strategy to say, wingman, you got to take the ugly one? I mean, it will, it will like break up the conversation into two different conversations so they can have this kind of false alone time. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Would it, if the goal is to bag the babe, yeah. would the wingman taking one for the team increase the chances of the guy bagging the babe? Um, I think yes, because then they wouldn't feel, if they felt like, oh, we met these two guys and 
my friend Shirley and the other guy hit it off. And then me and this guy were talking. Then you're not feeling like you're free to talk to that guy instead of, because if a guy comes up and starts talking to me, but I'm with my friend, I'm going to be like, well, I have to talk to my friend, Mm. you know, Mm. then it kind of releases that responsibility to talk to your friend. And I mean, sometimes you, it's really hard because sometimes you want that guy to come over and start talking to you, you Mm -hmm. know, but Mm -hmm. not in the way that this is talking about. Right. That's a whole premise in the pickup artist community is that women don't want to talk to you, (laughs) that you have to use manipulation to get women to one, to, to one talk to you and to two have sex with you. Yeah. And I'd like to say that this really, I don't think that the listener should feel bad about falling into this because for some reason I keep thinking of, um, this time in college that I almost got sucked into this, like, pyramid scheme or something of selling knives door to door and I was like there at the interview and I was like what am I doing and I was really it had taken me five months to find a job because I just moved to college and there's 40,000 people at this school so it's like so hard to find a job in September right and I was really financially desperate so I was doing this thing that I kind of knew was not right and if this guy was really emotionally desperate and I think I think that desperation is a mindset um then you're kind of grasping at something that you think will make you feel better. And it's okay to have done that and to have realized that it was not the right thing. And like the fact that I think you feel ashamed of that now is because you've grown past that and you see it now for what it is. And that's an okay thing. I think that's how I like to think about my regrets in life is like that embarrasses the hell out of me because I've grown as a person and I see that now for what it was. And I've changed. Hmm. If you were the same person, you wouldn't see how bad it was. Yeah, no shame. We all can look back on our life and see all sorts of quote-unquote embarrassing things. Um, yeah, I like that, that because I, I think that that is a primary factor in the popularity of the pickup artist community and the seduction community is that we have a society that is very isolating for a lot of people. It's very easy, I should say, for people to become isolated in our society. There's a a billion ways to entertain yourself at home alone now. Back in the day, if before, you know, when you had three channels on TV and, and all, another thing is, is that we didn't have uh, the luxury of, of living by ourselves the way that I think we do today. Totally. And like last night I was at a show and we were in the line for the restroom and everyone was just on their phone, you know? And I was like, There's so many of those little times that you just happen to start talking to someone and they're a friend of a friend or you start up that conversation that are taken by our phones now and they don't seem like that big of a deal, but I think overall it is. I mean, even when, even back when like Bowling Alone was published, which is a book about isolation in our country and it's got to be at least 20 years old maybe now, Mm. 10, I don't know. Um, It's a great book though. Oh, I, sorry, I didn't read the book. I read the study and studied it in class. Mm. So there's a study called Bowling Alone, and then he based the book off of it. Um, basically, it was just about how bowling alleys aren't making money anymore because people are bowling alone. And so they're not buying pizza and beer and making it like a group event. Mm. And just so I've, but I've really taken that in my life and been like, I have to address this and I have to proactively. I mean, I proactively manage my social life and make sure that I have a group of people, especially since I don't live around my family. Yeah. It's such a, like social ties are really important to us and we forget that. 
how do you do that? Because that's the what this guy, I think, was suffering from and my client, which is just wanting a group of friends to hang out with, yeah. which everyone wants. So I'm actually feeling really good about that right now after four years of living in Seattle. Yeah. And Seattle is kind of notoriously chilly yeah. to try. There's something called the Seattle freeze, you yeah. know? And so I was like, and I'm, uh, you know, I was like 28 when I moved here. So it's like, you're not in college anymore where you're just like meeting people. I don't like to go to bars that, that much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I really realized is there's kind of a repeated, you need kind of a repeated way to see each other. Did you start wearing shirts with it buttoned down the front? Yeah. I wore a lot of jewelry and a lot of perfume. Um, But no, like, so I tried to think about what's most important to me and create communities around that. So we're lucky to have a really nice writing center here in Seattle. And there was one day they were just having like a meeting about the future of it. And I didn't really have a reason to go, but I was like, you know what? I want to be part of this community and I'm going to go. And I felt like that night, for some reason, I met so many people. Mm. And so now that's kind of the basis of my community and the role that church used to play, for example. We don't have that anymore. So I really try to replace church in my life. Um, Church can be going to see a show. Church can be going to see a reading or taking a class or, you know, it's connecting with people and activities that promote um, a feeling of humanity and connection. So for me, a lot of arts are like that. So I've met a lot of my friends through writing classes and you know, you go to, to a writing class and to a reading and then you go out to the bar after. And I just have a really nice group of people that I really love and really connect with. Mm-hmm. And for me, the best nights are when we go out and, you know, we just, I just had a really nice night with my friend the other night and we just end up talking about our anxieties all night and how crazy we were and joking and reassuring one another. And, um, you know, that kind of connection is really beautiful because what I think about with the game, there is no vulnerability Mm. because you're not being yourself. Mm. You're covering up who you are. And so that is just not a basis for a real life. And I don't know what a sad thing to think that you have to change so much about yourself to get people to like you. It seems like it would worsen your self-esteem. Right. But I've I've done that before too. I've tried to change to get some reaction, you know? I remember in the fourth grade, I decided that I was going to become a, a cologne guy. <laughs> my dad, my dad gave me his crappy old cologne. Oh, it was God. a huge bottle. It was probably like <laughs> like a quart of of cologne. And and I and I said, you know what? I'm going to become a cologne oh, guy. God. I and rem- so I remember those feelings. You know. So I just doused myself <laughs> in a splash of cologne, and everyone was grossed out by it. <laughs> I was no longer cologne guy anymore. Oh God. Um. So, so yeah, we've all, we've all been there, but yeah, I think what you're talking about touches on an important point in that when, when we feel lonely, it is very vulnerable and we're, we're quite judgmental about ourselves. We think something's wrong with us. We think it's because of who we are. We question if it has to do with who we are in our essence. People don't like me. I am not a worthy person. If people really knew me, they would surely reject me in the way that people have rejected me in my past. Maybe my father left the family. Maybe my parents were distant. Maybe, you know, there were difficulties growing up. Maybe I had trouble socializing and groups of friends at school just rejected me. Maybe in in high school, I had no friends. Nobody knew me. No one took the time to get to know me. Everyone else seemed like they had friends and I had no friends. There must be something wrong with me. And, you know, 
I don't always adhere to evolutionary psychology stuff because a lot of it is crap, but <gasps> it stands to reason that we evolved to desire acceptance by the tribe. Because when we're rejected by the tribe, we're out in the wilderness by ourselves, and then we get eaten by the saber-toothed tiger. And so we evolved to really crave social acceptance by our tribe. And so we can be quite upset about these sorts of things, and, and, and it can be very psychically painful. And when we're faced with that, as, say, you're 30 years old, and you're in a new town and you're questioning, do I have worth as a social, do people like me for who I am? And then someone comes to you and says, I have the answer to having social contact. And it happens to be through bagging babes, but I have, a, I have an answer for you and I can give you manuals of how to do it. I mean, you know, this, this patron writer inner has the word manual. It's a manual of how to, now what it'll say is how to have sex with women, how to, how to get any babe you want. But, but really what the person wants, in my opinion, and research will, will demonstrate this, is closeness with another human being. Mm -hmm. Closeness, acceptance. And I, I read a lot of books about how to live. I like that stuff and it's helped me. Right. So it can kind of kind of the skeezy ones can sneak in with the quality ones. You right, know? right, exactly. And since we live in a sexist, misogynistic culture that tells men that they can't want attachments because that's being a pussy, and we tell men that they're supposed to bag all the babes, that's what they're supposed to do, then lo and behold, there's no manuals being propagated randomly through our culture on how to help young men attach and be vulnerable yeah. and give and take with women because that's being a pussy. That's being pussy whipped. That's being a mangina. You need to be, <laughs> you need to be the alpha male. Uh, you know, you need to be that guy. And so, of course, what's going to emerge in the culture when you socialize men to value that, that thing, they're going to look for answers that are within misogyny. And what's in misogyny is the sexist practice of seeing women as the other, as being hostile towards women, as seeing women as basically idiots that can be manipulated, as seeing women as only objects of sex, as seeing women as uh, something that you, con you know, conquer and throw aside. And so, of course, that's what happens. Make sense? Yeah. I mean, that seems really like you're missing out on so much. You know, yeah, and that's what I would be saying to my client. I'd be saying, I'm I'm happy that you have found success and you found a community of people to talk with. Well, that's not a definition of success. Well, it's you can be successful in an endeavor. I mean, Hitler was pretty fucking successful, and it wasn't <laughs> was, ideal. Well, I was trying to look on the bright side. I was <laughs> so I was happy for him in some ways, but I was bummed out because I was saying, what about long term relationships? That's why you got into this. Is if I, you know, I kept reminding him, you came to me because you wanted a group of friends, not a bunch of notches on the bedpost. Mm -hmm. You wanted people who would call you up on Saturday night and want to hang out. And it didn't have anything to do with having sex. It just had to do with going to the movies or having a beer or going to a football game. Or you just wanted that group of people, which sounds totally normal to me and human and not sexist. And now we're heading in this other direction. And he's like, well, but... 
you got to read these manuals, Kirk. It lays it all out there. I don't think you understand. I don't think you understand the power of this of this method. You know How many I mean? women was he sleeping with? Um, I don't remember that detail, honestly. In my mind, I don't think he actually had sex uh, with anyone, actually, in, in my, from my memory. Maybe it was a sense of power, that you had power over how people felt about you. Right. That's a really hard thing. I was just saying to my friends, like, uh, I was like, oh, I had a story idea, and I was telling them about my story idea. I was like, yeah, it was just, it's about, like, how, you know, when, like, your friend leaves the room and everyone just starts talking shit, and there's, like, the version of your friend that they are when they are not around, you know, and it's like the worst part of them. And some people get it worse than others, you know, but it's like the thing that everyone knows about you. And like, so trying to think about what that would be and what I call the story is the scariest woman in the world. (laughs) Cause that to me is the scariest woman in the world who I am when it's like, people are just talking shit and see the worst of me. Cause I'm like, Oh God, it's all probably so true. And my friends were like, I don't even I've never even thought about that before or considered that. Now I'm going to obsess over it, you know? So it was like, we were talking about, you know, having no control over how other people feel about you and how you just have to give that up. Right. So I feel like this is kind of that control. So it it gives, it, it, it essentially puts you in the driver's seat. Yeah. Or it gives you the illusion that you're in the driver's seat. Yeah. You're in control of the situation. You have the manual, you have the tricks. And that feels good. I've I've kind of studied sales over the last four or five years. And this is very akin to sales. Yeah, it's very akin to sales. But in sales, you are selling something, you know. But still, there's... Well, you're trying to get someone to do something that they're ambivalent about. Yeah. Right? You're trying to get them to say yes to buying a product or doing something. Yeah, so I learned I learned how to ask for something. And I learned how to sell something. And I would go into a meeting really wanting something to happen and... It would happen. And I felt so good about that. Like I went and asked to work from home two days a week and they let me do it. And I laid out this whole proposal. And then I wanted to start this whole program at my job. And I did a presentation on that. And it like, it was awesome. I really loved it. And it gave me a sense of control in my life where before I didn't feel like, I felt like other people, like my boss or something had total control of what happened to me or my future. Whereas now I was kind of taking control of that. So that's what it makes me think of. So in this way, is this a good thing for men like this? Um, no, I don't think so. I think that there are other ways to get that same feeling. For example, the book How to Win Friends and Influence People is really about relating to people. And I think when I read it, a lot of it's about leadership too, which isn't exactly human connection. But um, you know, you read a book because you want something to change in your life, maybe that kind of book. So um but when, isn't that just this? Isn't isn't uh, to play devil's advocate? Isn't the pickup artist community and all their manuals the same thing? What they have in common is that you have a little bit more control over how the situation happens. What they don't have in common is the ultimate goal. I think the ultimate goal of the game is to have sex and to get a woman to have sex with you. Whereas the ultimate goal for some other books that I've read, such as Daring Greatly, um, The Art of Asking, let me think what else. Um, what are the goals of those books? So those the goals of those books are actual human connection. Um, Brene Brown, it talks about a wholehearted life. Yeah. And she talks a lot about vulnerability. Yeah. Um, I haven't read her book yet, but I went to go see Elizabeth Gilbert. Yeah. And there's a little bit of like, 
30 year old white woman shame about seeing Elizabeth Gilbert, you know? Um, yeah. In a weird way, it's almost like Brene Brown is the female equivalent of mystery in the pickup artist community. It's interesting. I mean, not in a bad way. It's in a good way in that it's almost entirely women, right? Yeah. And it plays into what women are socialized to do, which I would argue is actually a good thing. They talk a lot about men though. I mean, I know that men are probably less open to this kind of book. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like Brene Brown proposes something that both men and women should be listening to, but because of our sexist culture, men are socialized to reject it yeah, and socialized toward things like the pickup artist community. That's very true. But I mean, I really like her and I think she's great. So to say like, she's like mystery. I'm like, like I've seen a picture of that guy, (laughs) but mystery provides a, a, uh, sexist congruent guide and a sexist congruent, Mm -hmm. um, uh, example model of the perfect man. The guy who has power, the guy who bags the babe, the guy who women flock to. I mean, he had his own TV show. You know, I just men. remembered that I've like seen an episode of it. We like watched it one time. Yeah. The one thing I remember is him telling a guy that when he goes up to a group of people or a group of women and he kind of gets rejected a little bit, not to like turn around and walk back, but to kind of deflect off in another direction like you were just swinging by. I mean, that was... That's, con- that's a concrete tip. What do you think of that advice? I think that's good advice because then it's it helps you kind of deflect rejection. Like it's not a complete like they're rejected, turn around all the way and go back. It looks less like rejection probably. Yeah. So, so that's fine. Right. So there are some things in the pickup artist community that I think are actually not so bad. You know, things like that. Like if it's okay to walk up to women and, and try to strike up a conversation, right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong or women walking up to men or women walking up to women. There's nothing wrong with when you're at a club, which is sort of designed for these sorts of things. Yeah. People are, you know, half the people there are probably open at least to, to some extent to people coming up and talking to you. And so, uh, little tips on how to not look like a fool, you know, don't walk up and, and, you know, try to make out with them in the first yeah. second, you know, walk up, you know, there's certain ways of, of approaching people that are not natural. You know what I mean? You have yeah. to be, you have to be told little tips. And I think that having, I mean, if it was like framed in a way where it's like, Hey, we're here to help nice guys meet women that they can connect with. Right. Like you're just a nice guy. You're a little shy. You need some concrete tips. Here you go. But right. if it's the whole attitude of the thing, you know, right. there's those, and I like some concrete tips when someone's, when I'm feeling, for example, with presentations, you know, it's like, don't just say, be more confident. Like, what do I do? Imagine you know? everyone's naked. I don't like that one. I'll just laugh. Um, yeah. So, right. So this provides tips, which I think are, are probably very yeah. helpful, but it's in the service of what kind of, what's the sp- spirit of the entire teaching and the spirit of the entire teaching is uh just fuck as many women as you can to feel better about your douchebag self and women are not real human beings yeah is is sort of the message so yeah so tips other good things actually so what my client had done is he had hired people in the pickup artist community it was actually he hired men and women so there are women in the pickup artist community. Are you taking a picture of me? Yeah. <laughs> Why? I don't know. 
<laughs> it just struck me as a photogenic moment. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that, Paulette. You taking a picture of me in the in in this condition that I'm in. I don't what? know if I'm. I think I'm probably looking quite quite frumpy You're in this. Relaxed. Yeah. Um. So, uh, he hired men and women to take him out into the community and force him to approach people. Have you heard of this sort of thing? Oh God. Um. What? So so the first scenario that he did, and I actually think this is good. They took him to Pike Place Market, to where the pig is, yeah. and said, you have to do what we tell you to do. So I want you to walk over that person and compliment them on their watch. And man or woman, it, did, it had yeah. nothing to do with sexuality. Just approaching people. Just approaching people. Yeah. I want you to walk over that person and high five them. And he was, he was terrified, but he was so dedicated to this. And he was paying money to, for these coaches to help yeah. him with this. Oh, my God. That he he did it, and by the end of that day, he had broken himself yeah. of his fear of approaching people. Step two, they go to a bar, and he says, "the the man and the woman say, I want you to walk up to that woman and and you know say this and that, or walk into that guy and give him a high five, or what you know." It had to do with men and women, but it primarily had to do with women. And slowly but surely, he had totally transformed from a guy who was terrified of such things and would never have walked up to someone, even if she had given him all the signs that it was okay, to a guy that was fully cool with doing ever. This is exposure therapy. Yeah. And so in this way, I thought the pickup artist community was actually really great. I mean, this is what I try to help people with all the time along these lines. It was just like, it doesn't matter. Walk up to someone. What's the worst that could happen? They yeah. think you're an idiot. Who cares? Being so, a reporter really helps me with that. Yeah. Like when someone needs someone to like call a place, what time are they going to be open? I'm like, I'll call. Like I'm not scared to talk to people, which is nice. So the patron goes on to provide some pros and cons. He says it motivates you to actually, so the pros are, it motivates you to actually get up and talk to women and to work on your appearance, which I would say, what do you think of that? Do you think those are good things? Yeah, I think those are good things. I think that, God, it's such a fine line of like, you have to, with a guy, here's what I want. I want someone to look hot, but seem like they don't care about their appearance. Yeah. Isn't that terrible of me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's a subtle thing, and it's cultural, and different women like different things. But, uh, but right, so, you know, think about your appearance. Yeah, in different cultures, in a lot of Latin cultures, guys wear more jewelry. I mean, it's different. There's a different aesthetic, for sure. Right. My boyfriend in Paraguay hated the way I dressed. Really? Because so many of the girls wore super tight jeans, super tight shirts, very, very feminine. And I'm like in my hippie jeans and my tie-dye long sleeve shirt. And I'm just like, yeah, this is how I dress. What I did, work, he, what I did work he say to you? He said, I love you. The only thing I don't like about you is the way you dress. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, he, another pro, he says, I learned that playful teasing and being in a position of higher status seem to garner female attention. What do you think of that one? Yeah. I mean, we don't, we don't want no scrubs. <laughs> I don't know. Um, being in a place of higher, yeah, women are attracted to, most women are attracted to rich guys. I don't know. Higher status can be so many things though. Like for me, if I meet like a really successful author or something, it's like, ooh. 
you know, like that is what a gold diamond encrusted bracelet, mm-hmm. which some of them I've seen. I'm just like, why do you have a gold and diamond bracelet as a man? Mm-hmm. I don't understand that. What is the point of that? Like to me, that means nothing. When I was young, I used to buy jewelry sometimes and I would just be like, I have zero feeling about this. This to me, looks like a trip through Southeast Asia for six weeks. That's what I see when I see this bracelet. So to you, you'd rather have a diamond encrusted Pulitzer Prize or something. <laughs> yeah, I do want a diamond encrusted Pulitzer Prize. Thank you. <laughs> he also says, if you get good at it, you might have some kind of insight to the subjective experience of some attractive women and in a weird way, develop a narrow kind of empathy. What do you think of that? So you feel bad for attractive women because guys come up to them all the time? Um, maybe, but also you, it, 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 the pickup artist community, a lot of the manuals are trying to get inside hot girls' heads. And so you, according to him, develop a, a narrow kind of empathy yeah. for, for their experience. I may have mentioned this before. I was hot for two years. When I lived in South America, I was hot. Yeah? Why? Because I just, my features were highly valued. And I am not, okay, it's like, if I move to LA right now, let's say I think I'm like a 6'7 right now, an aging 6'7. And if I move to LA, due to the population density of models, my number would plummet. I would, compared to everyone else around me, probably go down to like a 3'4". Now, if you go to South America, where let's say poverty causes a lot of people to maybe lose teeth. So if you have teeth, you're in a higher you know, bracket or no one else has blonde hair. So they really value blonde hair. I don't know. I just knew from the way that people treated me that I was like... Hot chick. Hot chick. People yelled at me on the street all the time. Guys were like talking to me all the time. And I was like, oh, this does get kind of annoying. I mean, granted, I'm back on Krypton now. (laughs) <laughs> like I came home, my superpowers are gone. Have you used that analogy before? <laughs> yeah, that is a good analogy <laughs> for you, Superman. And it's, it feels there. awkward to say, like you're like, but it's like probably almost anyone. There's somewhere in the world where you could go, where it's like people treat you differently because suddenly you look different to them. Yeah. And I danced in their carnival. They asked me to dance in their carnival. Yeah. In a gold sequined bra and skirt with a Whoa. huge. Peacock feather headdress. Do you have pictures? Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. I have video which no one will ever see. (laughs) (laughs) So you're walking down the street. Dancing the samba down the street of my town that I was in Peace Corps in. This is kind of a longer story than we Like one of those Brazilian. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I had to find ladies size 11 heels in Paraguay. Oh, my God. Yeah, I should really write that story. You're tall already. You oh, must, yeah. It was like With insane. a headdress, you must have been 10 feet, t- 10 feet tall. And that night, this guy treated me like people like kept grabbing me to try to take pictures with me. And this guy grabbed me. And it's in February, which is super hot. And he like smushed his sweaty, disgusting face against mine. And I really... That's probably the height of how I felt treated like an object. In this way that I was like, ew, get away from me. It was so weird. It was like in Paraguay, I was either being treated as like a big dumb animal or this like, ah, Rubia goddess. Mm. It was so weird. Interesting. It was a really mindfuck situation. So I think that was like overall, either one of those are an object, right? So 
hot women are used to being treated as an object. It's interesting. You were basically the reverse. Uh, what's her name from Modern Family? Uh, Sophia. Re- Sophia. You were the reverse Sophia Vergara. Why? In what way? Because she's from Latin America coming to the States and she's objectified and she's a sex object and yeah. she's treated like a like a dumb foreigner. She's and, hot and I think she's probably still hot in Colombia though. But when you went to, to <laughs> Paraguay, you were like the reverse Sophia Vergara. <laughs> Yeah, the, kind the of, woman but, with the accent, the the tall. Yes, that's true. The tall, exotic, voluptuous woman. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, it was so bad. <laughs> um, that sounds. That's interesting. You should write happened, a book like, about that. We like we went to a party, my friend and I, and it's this big party with lots of Paraguayans. There was a mariachi band, and they stood three feet in front of us and sang all their songs just to us. And we were just like, "This feels so weird." God, oh, that would have been was like, annoying, man. Like rich Paraguayans would try to like befriend us and have like American. They wanted to have American friends, like in that way. We were also treated as objects. So sorry, I'm going off on this big tangent, but um, you know, I think overall, it's like you're getting, you're talking to women with this game thing and trying to have sex with them as to get some objects. So you're trying to get a hot woman. You study the hot woman the way a hunter studies the lion, you know? And it's not necessarily for the experience of meeting the rich person or meeting the Sofia Vergara of Paraguay. It's the, let me show everyone else that Sofia Vergara of, of Paraguay hangs out with me. It's it's the status. It's like look how many women I had sex with. Look at the how hot a woman is with me, and that status is a cure for insecurity, which obviously doesn't work in the end, because it's in my view it's shallow. What we all really want is to be loved for who we are by people that we respect, that people that really know us. But when we feel like that can't be achieved because of traumas relationally growing up and, and through high school and with peers and everything, then we'll turn to some other way of looking for that and of, of, of gain, gaining that security. And if someone hands you a manual and tells you several anecdotal stories of how it succeeded, then you are going to take to it, you know? Yeah. And also I think if you're kind of a computer nerd, like, go find the computer nerd chicks. Yeah. You know, like I think that I became a lot happier in life when I started looking for the people who were like me. And I think, I think due to social insecurity early in life, I did want to like social climb, like make those people my friends, you know? Yeah. And then I got there and I was like, Oh, yeah. I don't have anything in common with these people. Right. Because society tells you that those are the sorts of people you yeah. should, you should want to hang out. With. I was in like the popular girl crowd in high school and I, uh, the whole time was kind of just like, Oh, I don't, it doesn't quite feel right, but I didn't want to give up that throne. It felt really good to be in right. literally the gap girls is what people called my friend group. But then I found <laughs> artistic weirdos and I was like, Oh, I'm an artistic weirdo. Yeah. And I, love being an artistic weirdo and I love my artistic weirdo friends because when you're that age, you're inherently more insecure. Totally. And so you'll search for things to find that security. So then he goes on to say all the cons of the pickup artist community. I think he's a good writer. And so I'd I'd like to go, go through these. He says doing this stuff for any length of time is actually very tiring. 
the physical and emotional effort of keeping up the act is very draining. Keeping up the act. I like that phrasing. He goes on to say, there is a self-hating acolyte vibe to this stuff. Lots of men deferring to other men, which I think could be unhealthy. Which is interesting. You wouldn't think that, but apparently what he's saying is there's a lot of a lot of worship of the other men in the community that do well. Yeah. Like mystery and these kinds of people. He goes on to say, by putting your personality into a straitjacket, you can turn off or even disgust or horrify women who would otherwise be quite a good match for you. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. That's the that's the thing where it's like if I'm the computer geek girl and here comes Rico Suave with his shirt open and his gold or flashy jewelry or something. And I don't want to like say that all, wearing all jewelry is bad, but it's like sometimes you w- see a piece of jewelry on a man and you're like, that is a fucking marker to show that he's rich. That's all that is, uh-huh. you know, it's opulence. Yeah. Um, you know, sh- the girl that you would have connected with is going to be turned off by that other thing. Cause that's a different kind of culture than the one you really naturally fit in. Right. And like he says, putting your personality in a straitjacket, you're acting like something and not being authentic, which will turn women off that who might actually be really attracted to your real personality. So he goes on to say a few other cons here. He says, it actually ends up putting women on a pedestal by making your entire life about picking up women. That makes sense, right? Yeah. He also says, the manuals portray women as cardboard cutout histrionics with no self-control or sense of responsibility. What's histrionic mean? Um, I don't know what he means by it in this context, but it, it often is, is re- referred to people who will be very emotionally expressive in a way to get attention. Does that make sense? Yeesh, too close to home. Uh, he goes on to, <laughs> to say... <laughs> Contrary to popular belief, these manuals usually do not teach you to feel entitled to women or to feel you deserve women. They teach you the opposite, that if you ever fail to pick a woman up, it is your fault and you need to go back and work on your game. Apart from being ridiculous and dumb, this turns you into a machine for getting numbers, getting lays, and so on without any genuine purpose behind it. This is basically what we've been talking about, right? But it's an interesting point that he's pointing out, which I didn't realize, is that it doesn't make you feel entitled to women. It makes you feel like you're a dumbass if you don't get women. But I think there is sort of an implication of you're entitled to women in that. And there are so many situations that someone could be in that makes you not quite open to meet someone right then, you know? Someone just was talking to me on the street, and I was just like... You just want to be like, oh, good for you for talking to someone. That's great. Like, I have had a boyfriend for four years. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with that guy. It's just like. But you, if you read these books, these manuals, they will say there is a way to get you. They will say, there'll be these stories of, of like, yeah, you would think that a woman who has a secure relationship with a guy for four years, I can guarantee you. That with my method, you can bag her too. Good Lord. Good. Yeah, that's rude. Good Lord. Yes. Rude. Yes. He goes on to say, a lot of people I have seen that are into this stuff seem to struggle with intimate, long-lasting relationships. Yeah. Oh, that's a shock. Yeah. He also says, one of the biggest problems, and one I don't see critiqued enough, is that this stuff teaches you to expect that women will resist your advances, and it presumes that they will not fancy you. There's some more of that British. Do you fancy me? Yeah. 
uh, it goes on to say, some of the people who became leaders in this movement are disturbed people, people with empathy deficits and emotional problems. That sounds about right. So I'm just looking at the pickupartistforum.com here. Oh, God. And some of the featured posters, in addition to mystery and these kinds of guys, there's a guy called The Gambler. There's a guy called Sin with two N's. Ooh. S-Y-N-N. And the last thing he says is, I think a lot of this stuff could be poisonous. And it takes months, years to clean it out of your system. Oh, God. Yeah, that's really weird. It's like a whole way of seeing the world. It's so interesting how malleable our worldview can be, you know, where it's just like you can get super into one thing and then kind of wake up and be like, oh, wait, no, there's so much more out there. This was so wrong. Right. So he ends with why the pickup artist community stuff is attractive to men. He says it's they're attracted to the simplicity, the goal oriented planning. They're attracted to the way it treats complex social interactions like a video game which is interesting because it's like there's a manual and if you if you press A, A, B, B, A, you'll get the girl. They're attracted to it because of the feeling that you can surely acquire sex, which is something I think many, many men feel insecure about. And they're attracted to the evasion of true intimacy and connection, which can scare people. These are all things that we've been talking about. Makes sense, right? So just looking online, just 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 Googling pickup artist community, I found the, f- the following article, eight lessons from pickup artists that guys should actually use. Number one, take out the headphones while, wa- while walking. Yeah, that's opening yourself up to interaction with people. Okay. After you speak to a girl on the street, plant your feet and don't move. Uh, that could be seen as a little crazy. I don't know. Plant your feet and don't move. Yeah. Sounds, ri- aroma. So- sounds rigid. <laughs> yeah, it'd be funny. Ever she, she uh, someone's coming straight, like a like a bicyclist coming straight at you, and you're like, "Well, the internet said I shouldn't move," and the bike just runs you over. Number three, use a more original line than "What are you doing today?" but still sound natural. Uh, that's not bad advice, right? It's not bad. Ask who she is and what she does for fun. It's not bad that's either. Regular. Don't be a douchebag. Hey, that's a good one. Don't be self desperate. Don't self-deprecate. I don't know about that one. Yeah, it's kind of fun sometimes. Yeah. Don't go to dinner on your first date because the table sets up a physical barrier. What are you supposed to do? Pudding wrestling? <laughs> yeah. Be, be touchy throughout the date. You're making a face. Yeah. See, like, it's like, don't be a douchebag, but then here's what douchebags do, and you should do it, too. <laughs> so be touchy? So, you know, so when we look at this, it's some of it is just some of it's good advice and yeah. some of it's a little douchey. You know, it's a really you know, people talk about the important skill of our era is critical thinking. It is being able to take in all the information of which there is so much out there coming at us at all times and being able to say what is quality information and what is not quality information. Even things like one reference book can ha- can can contain quality information and crappy information as well. Yeah. So in conclusion, I will say that there are two main problems with this. One is, is that it, it helps to um, propagate a misogynistic sexist notion that men are over here and women over here and men want to get sex only and they don't, they're not interested in attachments and women are over here, and all they want is attachments and get married, and they don't want to have sex. 
when which in rea- is not true. Yeah, when in reality, men and women are very similar. As we start to break down the sexist barriers in our culture, we start seeing more and more similarities regarding sexuality and marriage between men and women. So, uh, so anyway, so it, it propagates a lot of really negative things uh, regarding sexism. It, 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 it's, it's hostile towards women. It assumes, it assumes women are idiots. And it assumes you can't just be yourself. It assumes that if you really are yourself, that women will reject you because all women there, there are things that you wouldn't believe that's written in this community of just like, if you're yourself, you know, women will capitalize on that power and manipulate you and all this kind of stuff. Oh my God. It sounds like this guy is like not healthy and he's, he is capitalizing on the, like disorders of other people or the deficiencies, right? The emotional deficiencies. The other thing that is bad about it, in my opinion, is that it denies men the opportunity to gain attachments, which is what they're really looking for. People want attachments, men and women. Why are so many people, whether they're men or women or trans or gay or whatever, they want to be in a relationship with somebody? They want to. They want a whether it's for uh, six months or for the rest of their life. They they want a partner. They want someone to share their life with. They want companionship. They want security. Men and women. And when men are lonely, they start looking for answers in our culture. And since we are a sexist society, and there's no group that helps men to find attachments, but there are groups that help men bag babes. Then they turn to this as a as a misdirected way of trying to gain attachments. If we could only just help people, whether they're men or women, find attachments or get over their barriers that, you know, that are in the way of them meeting people so they can actually have attachments, then they wouldn't need to turn to this ridiculousness to, to distract them from the real goal. Very true. I like that. Any closing remarks? Just be yourself. Good God. Mm-hmm. Just be the best version of yourself that you can muster, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And think about give and take. Think about asking people about their life and be attracted to people who ask you about your life. And you give to them and they give to you and you have fun together and and just be yourself. <laughs> or just buy a real doll. <laughs> yeah, they won't leave you. Um Well, that does it for another episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. And please take care of yourself. And please find your attachments and avoid the stupid pickup artist community because you deserve it. You deserve it. Uh, My life is, I just realized we're like Frasier. (laughs) Did you ever think about that? Oh, my God. He does a radio show. We do a podcast. (laughs) You kind of sound like her, too, a little bit. (laughs) Like Roz? Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe I remembered her name. It's true. I'm Roz. Do you have an Instagram or I do. a Twitter? Yeah. I have Instagram. I think it's just Kirk Honda. Oh, wait. Let me find you. Kirk Honda. Oh, I'm already following you. Okay. I can tag you then. It's Frazier. I'm Roz. <laughs> <laughs> Should I do hashtag psychology in Seattle podcast? On Instagram? Yeah. I doubt anyone's ever done that before. That's true. All right. Let's do podcasting. Do you check Instagram? Do you like look at Instagram and what, what's going on with people and then like stuff? Sometimes, yeah. Like how often during the day? Like I have a problem. <laughs> like a number of times each day? Yeah. I know it's bad. I don't like it. It's not bad. It's just I, I, I look at Instagram like once a month. 
Yeah. <laughs> and then I like everything and then I then I forget about it and then I go back. I mean, I'm I'm a the only thing I do is look at Facebook and Reddit. Those are the two things that I look at all the time all day. Reddit? Yeah, see, it's funny. People have their different things. Yeah. 